you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. Go! Go. Okay. <laughs> uh, weekend, fantastic. Uh, I was in Salem, Massachusetts. You ever been there? I, I have only been there, but never like on a cool costume parade weekend or anything like that. What, yeah, what, I, don't, what you I don't think they did anything super cool, like for the, the 4th of July, but it was packed. There definitely were people there. Uh, I think they have enough cool factor uh, to not do right. stuff. It um, definitely has history. It definitely has eerie yeah. history. You know yeah. what I mean? So, okay. It, okay. So here, I mean, so many cool, interesting things with Salem. Um, you'll learn it, when you go, there's a, you know, it's weird. We talked about this because I was there for a writer's conference event and we were okay. working on an, an anthology, all of us writers. And we were talking, it's a little weird because we like the history, you know, I, I mean, not what happened, but we like learning it and we like, uh, you know, being immersed in it. But yeah it feels a little weird then when you walk out and they're selling like t-shirts and, you know, it's like capitalizing on what happened and it wasn't a, a proud moment in history. Um, exactly. It, it, I know I've seen like a Doonesbury strip at one point where, you know, somebody was uh, visiting Graceland and it was, you know, all about, Oh my God, the King is dead. And, you know, that's so sad and stuff. And of course the next thing they come up is, Hey, I priced these uh, cigarette lighters to move at five bucks. So, right. really, is there anything that doesn't get commercialized and therefore a little bit degraded? You know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it, but, but uh, you know, my, my opinion was, you know, get into the spirit and enjoy it. That's why we're here. Uh, you know, sure. uh, we're not going to change anything. And and I think for a long time, what happened, just from hearing various things, is Salem. And Salem is not where the actual like hangings and stuff were. Uh, you'll okay. find that out. It's the neighboring town. Um, okay. But I never knew that. I mean, that name is so associated with yes. witch burning and prosecution, persecution. Burning you know, was I, only in Europe. We, I, we I, hung people. I knew that part. I knew that that was a uh, a thing that everybody says that is historically proven wrong. Right. That it was much more duckings and hangings and things like that. Right. So, okay. so uh, you know, it was a mixture. And, and we, we had a really good talk uh one of the author's husbands is a phd in history and one of his favorite topics is the witches of salem and everything okay. and uh, you know the, the everything leading up to it and everything after it and stuff so here we go fun facts uh you know big brain time <laughs> uh but we know there was a spike in the witch trials um but when was the last witch trial in america I'm hoping like 1700s that it didn't break into the 1800s or anything that, like that. that? That's close. I mean, it it okay. was 1920. Oh. <laughs> so I mean, I mean, that's just what is testament to the foolishness of human beings and the overreactivity. Exactly. Like, hey, my cat died. My milk soured. It's got to be evil forces. <laughs> exactly. 
and that woman has a wart and craziness ensues. Yeah. And, oh and my the, God, that's terrible. 1920 and, in Salem or no, elsewhere? it was, uh, sorry, I don't remember. It was it just, you know, Matt mentioned, um, but it was just somebody was ticked off at this lady who owned what like this occult shop. So, okay. and, and that's the thing that really struck me with everything I learned about the, the witch trials. Cause we went through several tours as a group, but it was just really the girls. Went, ah, that's a witch. Boom. They grabbed them. And now you're in trouble. Uh, right. <laughs> I mean, sadly it's, it's a like, it's been like that for various different things over the course of history. You know, there, there was a time where um, any accusation of rape or sexual harassment was that guy was done for unless he could really move yeah. his way out of it. And believe me, believe women, there's been much more evil crap going on than has been reported. But there were also weird jealousies and opportunistic yeah. accusations that were done. And so you still have to have the rigor of a trial. You can't have mob justice because there is no justice. It- there's vigilante craziness. And you know we, what I mean? So. We, yeah, and it, it's, it, it, I mean, McCarthy is an obvious example. Um, of course. But, you're a communist, and therefore you're banned from life. You know, cancel right. culture is an encapsulation of that in modern times. Yes, and uh, and I even said this, because I, I went through this uh, you know, about 10 years ago, 11 years ago, where all those women were stepping forward after Cosby and saying, well, that man accosted me, that man did this, and ruining lives. Johnny Depp's a good example. Now, I'm not right. saying the man's perfect. I'm not saying he's a model citizen, but he was accused of some pretty horrendous things, and everyone right. started shunning him. He lost jobs. He lost acting stuff. And then it came out that she basically just lied. Exactly. I mean, and, and what's, I mean, this is a weird thing to say. Where's her punishment? Exactly. You, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, I don't want her, you know, there should be something for when it, the, the impact of right. what you've done, wrecked the guy's life, took 10 years out of his career or whatever. And then when the story starts to unravel, it just seems to be, oh, well, she was just emotionally distressed or something. No, there's really malice and the willingness to maintain an evil story for a long time until you have to let on that you're lying. Right. So I, I kind of want justice to go both ways because people that lie I, like that make it that much harder for the truly horrific crime victims to get believed when they first say something, you know what I mean? Yeah, that, yeah. There's there's automatic pushback on, on in in, our, in far too many ways. And, and part know, of so. it's our our culture. Oh my God, we, you know we don't want to look bad like we're not believing the women anymore or supporting them. So we'll go the other. And I've said this before: going the other direction and immediately, you know, arresting somebody and ruining their life. Right. You know, I, uh, this is your sweeping statement. This is a terrible thing. You know, we're both in Mensa. And Mensa has an internal hearings process where they there are people that are really uh, unmutual, shall we say. They're not good members. They have gotten themselves in horrible situations where they've done harm to other people. Well, the problem with that is that Mensa isn't the law. We don't have anywhere near the rigor of, can you really investigate to get to a point of certainty? Do you really have standards for proof? Do you have the ability for everybody to face their accuser? So every time that they play at being the law, but don't have anywhere near the standards of that, it makes me very, very nervous yeah. because there, there's such possibilities of miscarriages of justice or of justice not being served because you just can't, you don't, you can't force someone to come into the courtroom. You can't, you right. can't subpoena someone. And I don't know. <laughs> I just, when people want to play at it, instead of if you're going to call yourself a court, you have to take on all the rigor of the court. 
there has to be discovery. You can't surprise someone at a hearing with things that they've never heard about. It's yet. not the you movie. I mean? it's like, <laughs> and, and what's funny is everybody has seen enough of those cop shows and courtroom dramas and stuff like that, that they know what the law is. They know how it works and how it grinds. And so when you don't do those things, you're very voluntarily doing it. You're right. subverting the due process of how, if you're going to act like a court, you have to be a court and they don't. And so I just, you know, it's not only of course, in Mensa, it's in every homeowners association. It's in everybody, every you know, like every place where people gather that they they just like being the decider. I know that's a kind of an overused, you know, accusatory thing for Bush and others that have taken it on, but it really is how much they just want to make a decision without having to say to others, "Here's how I came to that decision. Here's the proof that I gathered." Show your work. <laughs> Show your work exactly. And I'll tell you, I've been in far too many volunteer organizations where I have said those things. I want them to see what we're doing. I want them to see the rigor that we're applying here. And everybody else gets impatient or they're like, how can they uh, not believe me? It's like, it's it's not about anything about you. It's about the standard you have to establish and stick to here is such that you really could explain to anybody how you made that decision. Right. Not just, I got angry. I got scared. I made a flip decision. It's really weird. The I don't know. Some people don't have that in them, but then they need to step back from being in the court. Kind of like being a censor. You know what I mean? <laughs> Almost always, the people that want to be the censors are exactly the ones you don't want doing. Exactly. Yeah. They are the ones that are going to be happy to inflict their taste. Yeah. Not a standard of, is there real harm? Is there anything? It's just, my taste should be everybody's taste. And that's psychopathic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Sociopathic. Yeah. It's <laughs> so a couple interesting facts, uh, things I learned sure. was in Salem, well, first of all, when you were there, did you walk around and like look at the buildings and see the little plaques of like the year built and who it was for and stuff? Oh yeah, exactly. That was the they, best. They I really like have a, when I was there, they didn't really have a walking tour, but I was thinking if they had kind of that path like they have in Boston, where you follow the red lines and it takes you to yes. various different points of historic interest. So maybe they've done that now, or maybe it's just that every single building has something. So you just kind of wander and right. drink it, they had okay. both. They did have walking tours. You could go with a guide. Okay. They had, and because of COVID, they had like self walking tours, which you okay. could get a map. Uh, but they had the red line. I, I saw that and I'm like, oh, cool. Um, yeah. So that was cool. But I, I would advise if anyone's listening to this, they want to go to Salem. If it's during the summer when it's touristy, uh, get there earlier in the morning, find a parking spot, and just expect to walk around all day. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> There's, we, Colleen and I have learned that often, that sometimes when we go to like a place where we know we're going to do a lot of walking, we actually stay out of town, take the train in, and just commit ourselves to we're going to be on our feet all day. Right. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It, driving is crazy. So much, yes, exactly. So, so any, anything that stood out? Like I, I noticed that you learned a lot of stuff. Anything yeah. that was really surprising? Or did you know a lot about Salem that it was like, oh, here's this place I've read about? Um, you know? Well, th there were a couple little places like the witch museum we went to as a group and they did some presentations and those were cool. Um, yeah. The two facts. Oh, well, first of all, did you know, and you might know this, that they created a whole new court just for these Salem witch trials that uh, uh, allowed spectral testimony. So I could say, Oh, I saw so-and-so's a uh, spirit floating above the town. They must be a witch. And they allowed that and charged people using that <laughs> so i i didn't know that but unfortunately it fits in with the inquisition and other things that have happened like this yeah and if you can't prove it you'll find a way to 
bring in other well, factors that let well, you see, but they did prove it. Testimony. They well, did prove I, it because they saw their ghost floating above the town. <laughs> so you see what I'm saying? You can't prove it in reality. Yes. You create an unreal situation so that it's just the force of someone's testimony that can carry the day. Right. Oh boy. Oh yeah. boy. So that was okay. that was one cool thing I found. But then, like when it was all over, they disbanded it and said, "Oh well, that was kind of a mistake. Guess we shouldn't have done that." And it, it was they just all it, from the the historian people because, like I said, we had that PhD guy. He says basically historians. You know, it was mass hysteria and people got caught up in it. And then they got afraid to go against the crowd. Well, if you go right. against the crowd, you're a witch. So it just kept feeding on itself. And there's a lot of factors that led up to that. But um, two things. One, uh, Tituba, I don't know if you recognize that name from the whole thing. She was the slave that okay. got accused of being a witch because she was telling stories. Well, 20 years ago, the historians basically found out and declared that it wasn't a black slave from Barbados. She was an Algonquin Indian from South America slave. Uh, but oh my. they haven't changed but, but that. Guess, Do what? So, it, But I guess, you know, they didn't have DNA testing. They didn't have like, right. what's the difference between Caribbean and, and African and whatever else it might be, South American. Oh boy. Yeah. Okay. So all the presentations, all the history books and everything is Titaba. And there's books. I interviewed a guy on my other podcast that wrote a book about Titaba. But now the historians are like, no, it wasn't a black slave. But they're not changing it. It's been 20 years because everything's in place. That's our consciousness. So that they're like, if we change it, it would look like we're wrong now. And I'm just like, that is crazy. Honestly, your your visit this weekend is like screaming from today's headlines. Yeah. How many crazies do we have with where we want our version of history, no matter yeah. whether it's provable or not, to be the one. And then if we have a version of history and we find out otherwise, like you're saying, they still don't want to change it because right. now it's not about reality. It's about, oh, I'd be embarrassed. Man, if you don't <laughs> make that commitment to science, to, you know, what what is proof and, and that it is bigger than you. It's not about whether you found it out or not. Right. It's about what is the truth as far as you can get to it. Right. Oh, uh, so one of the stories they told, uh, what was his name? John Parson or John Proctor? Or, uh, the, okay. the, what, the one, uh, there was like five men that got accused and hung. And okay. the, the one was saying he was innocent. But the reason he was accused, because he was from different stock. He wasn't Puritan, so per se, from the same stock. So he was taller. He had red hair. Uh, and because he was so strong, he must be getting his power from the devil. Right, imbued by the devil. Come yes. on, come You're on. in trouble, Al. <laughs> right, exactly. You know what I mean? It's like, luckily, I might have be able to fall back on my Viking heritage. Exactly. Even though I'm Lithuanian. You know what? Right, I'm up there right. in the Baltic Sea. I'm up there somewhere. It's close okay, enough. Yeah. For most people, geography, <laughs> it's close. But so he was like standing on the bar with a rope around his neck, and he recited the Lord's Prayer. And if you couldn't recite the Lord's Prayer, it was proof you were a witch. Well, they got it's so like parcel tongue, you know. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> they got to be such sticklers about it that if you mispronounced a word or said the cadence wrong, well, that's proof that you're you're not. The God didn't let you right. say it correctly. Exactly. You would have burst into flames. Exactly. So he said it, recited it with no problems, and everybody's like, "Well, wait a second, how would he do that?" Well. Was it Cotton Mather or one of the the witch hunters goes, oh, he's got the devil speaking into his ear. He was just repeating it. Oh, he must be a witch. Dead. And, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you know, you, you just keep changing the facts to whatever you want. So anyway, right. 
Cotton Mather, which I, you may know the name, and I don't know if you've ever played yeah. the Salem game. Uh, all these characters are in the Salem game. Exactly. I, I, Cotton Mather is famous. He's like the yeah. best known of the big Puritan pounding the table with his gavel oh, yeah. type crazy, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, he, he okay. was, so after this is all over, uh, basically he got run out of town. He, he, nobody wanted him around anymore. They're like, yeah, you caused a lot of problems and we're sorry about it, but we'll blame you and you go away type thing. So, so scapegoating 400 years ago. Okay, yeah. okay. There was an opening for president at Harvard. So he went oh. and applied for the Harvard position and they said, Oh hell no, we don't want you. <laughs> we like, yeah. we, we know your reputation. You're not, you're not going to help our school. So he got ticked off and said, well, fine, I'll go start my own school. So he got a buddy of his from Yale. He, he was able to do all the teaching stuff to get started. He got a, okay. a buddy from Europe, uh, Mr. Yale, and they formed Yale College, and that is why to this day Yale and Harvard have a rivalry. Uh, man, is, is that really, really, really verifiably yeah, true? Because yeah. I never heard the Cotton Mather background for Yale. You know I, what I mean? I, it, I wow, they, they, wow. Again, they've kind of subdued that fact because of who yeah. he was. <laughs> man, you know, I, I, I when I was growing up, I think in junior high, not even high school, we had to read The Crucible. You know yeah. Arthur Miller. There's a famous story, and and I always thought like if I if they've stopped teaching that, like they have stopped teaching any number of things that oh no weird language or it makes the kids uncomfortable or whatever. It's well, a trigger. It's, it's yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But you have to know that we've got terrible stuff in our history that we overcame it, and that's the key. It's not terrible stuff, and we embraced it, and we're still <laughs> terrible. It's like if you read the Jungle or the Octopus or the Crucible. It's like there have been times when you know people got away with literal murder and yet justice ground slowly and finally got to it or we passed laws about monopolies or you know whatever the solutions are in the various different books but and then also it's worth learning the lessons of so why was somebody accused of witchcraft oh they had a nice plot of land that somebody else wanted yeah i can get this guy killed funny i get to have the mill i get that you know what i mean i get to extend my holdings and so that whole thing of follow the money like that's applied way back then and way still now. Mm -hmm. There's so many things. It's not about what people are being accused of. It's who's behind, who's going to gain from this terrible situation. And it's often terribly mundane. You know what I mean? That, right. that someone getting accused of awful things. It's like, wow. So uh, anyway, it's not that, new. That, it's, it's not new. Exactly so, that. Speaking of um, that, there was one guy, uh, his name was Corey. I forget it. Something Corey. But he was like 80 years old, and they accused him of witchcraft. And oh. they pressed him, which was put the board on, sack a stone on there. And right. they kept saying, do you admit you're a witch? He said, more weight. They put another one on. He said, are you a witch? I, more weight. And there so you go. Two days, he lived, and they kept stacking boulders on top of this poor old more man until he died. The thing was, if he would have admitted he was a witch, they would have taken his land, and his family wouldn't have had it. But because he never admitted it and it killed him, well, he was innocent, so they kept the land. But that family still owns some of that land to this day. The generations okay. passed out. So that because was his bravery of, because of his stubbornness. You yeah. know what I mean? That, you know? That's, and, 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 and even in those terrible things, there's great stories like that. Yeah. That people like, you know, there will always be crazies like you, and I will not give in. Not bow down. Know? He so, was definitely wow. the pushback then and then if you were found innocent because there were a lot of people accused but found innocent but you had to pay 
for the jail cell and the shackles and the chains that you were in. And if you couldn't pay for it all, then they kept you in jail until you could. So your family, literally, there were people that were innocent that were kept in jail until their family raised the money. And they ended right. up dying in jail because it, it wasn't like they just borrowed a loan from the bank. They had to save this money. And it was like $45. But to them, it took three years to do that. Right. To collect the debtor's prison yeah. exit fee. Oh, man. It's so, just, I mean, is that, again, screaming from today's headlines? What are we seeing be recreated? That we have you know, prisons for profit? That we find out that this crusading district attorney has sent all kinds of innocents to jail because he was getting a kickback yeah. from the prison? And, like, you know, it, it's terrible. Like, I, I once read, if you want to learn about humanity, all you got to do is read Shakespeare and the Bible. Because all those stories are there. Yeah. All the greed, all the betrayal, all the jealousy, all the egotism. Do you know what I mean? It's just yeah. a lot of these things, history doesn't repeat, but it sure rhymes. And <laughs> you'll see these things happen again and again and yeah, again. It's, it's crazy. And so, I mean, and, I understand why Salem said, you know, we don't want to be associated. And they kind of subdued that whole thing. And they, they tore places down. They didn't want the places around. But in recent years, people are kind of getting into Wicca and they're embracing the witches, so they're, they turned it touristy. They're like, you know, that yes, they're profiting from it. And yes, they're kind of using that in their history. They're not um, celebrating what happened. They're not celebrating the, the deaths. Stuff, they're trying right. to tell everybody what happened, but they're turning it into something that people can enjoy. And if nothing else, I mean, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. You know, people do all these protests and marches and stuff to bring up awareness. Well, in many ways... Uh, this is bringing up awareness. It's kind of going the other way and people like don't care anymore and they don't see the significance of it. But uh, you know, at least it's, it's talked about a bit and you know, it's interesting if nothing else. (laughs) Honestly, I still think it's worth it. You know what I mean? You can't have history go away or can't have it retold in a way that it's now false. And especially for the people that that kind of information matters and their faith matters and so forth. It's great to be, have a chance to just discuss it. Another yeah. thing that seems to happen nowadays is that, like, did you really come out of the womb believing as you did? No. You've been given all kinds of lessons by your parents, your teachers, your church, your whoever else it might be, your neighborhood, and and especially bigotry and so forth. You don't come out hating other people. You'll learn how to do right. that. And so, you know, this kind of thing of that we're a, a one religion nation or that we're a one politics nation or anything – it's false on the face of it, but the fervor with which people say it, I always think, well, that should be enough to convince you to go the other way. You know what I mean? That the right. people that really are that crazy in their beliefs and that don't want to submit to facts, it, it there's automatically something wrong with them. So the burden of proof for something extraordinary is also extraordinary. And that's a lot of why I'm I'm pretty much a skeptic in so many different things, because I regularly see people either out of limitation or out of active chicanery making ridiculous claims and the money rolls in right you know what i mean and so i well i'll also say it's kind of sad that you're, you're right in the place like literally the phrase witch hunt entered our vocabulary <laughs> because of salem and nowadays that's nothing but a deflector phrase when people are really going through the right. rigors of an investigation it's like called a witch hunt it's like no we're not really persecuting you we're trying to get to the bottom of all the crimes you've yeah, committed. Well, we, and the fact we know that we're out there many of those crimes is what makes this terrible. That we kind of can't believe you're not a witch, but you sure are a total, unre- you know, unrelenting, I, I, shameless criminal 
And your only way to deflect that is to say, oh, I'm being persecuted. I'm the victim here. Yeah. I'm going to have to think really hard to think of a recent example of that. Um, you know, let, give me give me a minute. I'm sure there was somebody. I think I heard it at a rally. I think I heard it at some ridiculous <laughs> yes, rally for some disgraced ex-official uh, who uh, was was tossed out by public vote, uh, oh, and yet he's delusional only and can't dis- help himself. Only disgraced from our viewpoint, not not that. <laughs> I, I think if I had to say that there is an objective standard of disgrace, it's this. Yeah, it's yeah. the delusion. It's the I'm still <laughs> going to say. Keep giving me money for nothing that I do for you. You know what I mean? Right. It's a scam. It's a scam like ah, 40 years, 50 years worth of businesses on his part have been. It's to, the fact that he's been able to take it. And in fact, I'll say this. One of the things that makes crazy, terrible things able to happen is back when it was Salem, you had a, a, a tiny locus of people that were going through this. It might have been dozens. It might have been a 100. But there's only so much crazy you could get in it's still face-to-face. It's still a small town. When you can get your crazy spread across the world by social media, you know, uh, uh, you can get... Totally different. And anonymously. You know what I mean? The fact that we've had, you know, um, the fact that we have the kinds of things where disinformation and active malicious information can be transferred so quickly and that, I I just read a big article about this, that Facebook doesn't really have, has never had, standards in place for how to tr- change um, disinformation into information. They've taken small attempts at it, and they're finding out that their their um, standard for always be growing, always be more engaging, make our application more addictive, that that is right in line with um, going towards more polarized, more radical, crazy views, not with reasoned, calm views. The way you get people to keep on checking is to get them all head up to get them to believe ridiculous things and keep taking in more of it. And so now there's the article was from MIT that they're finding out that even trying to throw the best artificial intelligence they can at it, to be able to automate that process of separating fact from fiction and be able to find the balance between growth and radicalization and polarization, that it's next to impossible, that it's an amazingly difficult thing. And that a lot of people, they don't even want it. They yeah. love going into their echo chamber of, I'm a radical, I've got radical friends, I belong to radical groups, everything that I share with others is that same spiraling tornado of crazy, and yet when something comes across that says, hey, be reasonable, or hey, there's alternate you know, view of that, hey, there's real facts, they reject that instead of saying, well, finally something broke through this, this hurricane of crap that I'm involved in. So, I don't know what's going to happen. Well, I've talked for a long time about the mimetic war that we're in. You know what I mean? That ideas really spread as viruses and we are just inundated. Yeah. It isn't just COVID that is infecting us. And what what you're saying, you know, from the author's standpoint, you know, we we always say the villain thinks he's the hero of his own story. It's a matter of perspective. And even like in Star Wars, you know, we see the Empire as evil and, you know, because we see from a different side, but in the universe, there were planets and people that said, this is great. Before we had no money, we had no protection. Now we have protection. We have jobs. We have you know, people coming to the planet and commerce. And- right. We have order. Yeah. We have a force for order, even if that force does some radical things once in a while. But still, a lot of people prefer the nice, right. comfortable chains instead and, of true freedom. <laughs> and even then, you know, that's a... So- 
interesting example, and I know it's fiction, but these planets mm. were separated. So if these people are just looking at their planet, they're like, well, this is great. I don't know why I've heard rumblings that everything's, you know, people don't agree with this. They're crazy. Those people, and there's people that blew up at one of the Death Stars. Those people are terrorists, you know, exactly. and that's their viewpoint because the Empire never actually subdued them and never did anything bad. It's, you know, it's that's right. You, you do always get that local versus, you know, can you expand your world's view to being right. that of an entire solar system, an entire universe, you know, that kind of thing. It's, I don't know. That's one of the joys of a lot of wonderful current science fiction is very, very good at commenting on exactly what we're going through here, but in that analogous way of, huh, that doesn't sound too <laughs> unsimilar to, I've got, you know, like, I don't know, isolated pockets where really crazy things are happening. And if you try to apply that standard to everywhere, well, the whole world kind of rebuffs that because, well, that's what the little isolated pocket people believe. But now every one of those pockets can broadcast as if it is the yes. worldview. So this is, I um, I don't know that we've talked about this before. You know, As you know, I read a lot of comic books, as do you. It's a big part of our world. I have long been a fan of the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. Yes. Um, comic book stores for decades now have been attacked because even though comic books are a very adult medium, by that meaning in thought, not in you know naughty pictures, um, they've grown up. People have grown up and still have comic books. And yet there's some people that really want comic books to still only be Richie Rich and Little Lotta and Walt <laughs> Disney type stuff. So they go into a comic store and they pick up a comic and, oh, my God, there's, you know, actual people having sex. And not really, but they interpret whatever, whatever they're going right. to find, whatever they want to. In order. So after a number of comic book stores, and this is kind of funny, our, our discussions often do this, it, um, the accusation was enough to close down the comic book store. This place got prosecuted in Florida by, you know, the person that said they're selling bad things to school children. And while the store was closed down or while the media was saying, oh, my God, what a bad place. The guy lost all of his business. And even though he won the court case that indeed what I was selling was absolutely legal and it was protected from kids because I kept it behind the counter and they had to actually ask for it and seek it out and then accuse me of making it available. But they weren't a kid. They were an adult. So all the facts were not enough to protect them from they couldn't survive a year with no sales. They closed down. It's a witch hunt. So the whole point of the comic book legal defense fund and, and, and just that, you know, the, they, uh, they are the ones that support against the real crazies that have tried to shut down those kinds of places. And as you know, there's massive banned book lists. There's still people that, again, they try to inflict their taste. You know, I don't like 1984. I don't like Hawk Finn, whatever else it might be. When you look at the top 10 banned books of all time, it's like, I've read every one of those, and every one of those is a classic. Like, how can they possibly? Well, they can, they do, and yet there has to be that other side that says, right. nope, when my kid is of the right age to read it, I'm going to let them. And in fact, I, the parent, will be the one to judge that, not you, so, not some draconian standard, not it can't even be seen in the comic book. It's pulled from the shelves in the library or something like that. There's just the forces that are trying to do that are are incredibly persistent and stubborn and you always have to have the other side that says nope there's something to be gained from reading that book it's not about whether like, there's a character named nigger jim or not it's that it talks about the the whole society that that was a standard and that if you want to learn about american history you have to understand that there was a time when right you, you can't you can't you know exactly. it's, 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 oh my God. 
please, listeners, don't write in. Of course, I didn't say that bad word in a way that should. You know what I mean? But you no, know, that's I, how he refers in the book. <laughs> I mean, that's, that, you know, we, right. this is a topic we've had over several weeks. You know, it's it's because it's so big and encompassing and it's difficult to say anything without offending somebody. It's difficult yeah. to get your point across and what you're thinking at times. And that's why, you know, I, I said in the follow-up week, I said, let me just make sure it's clear, you know, and the same here. People, I, I love Mark Twain. I, I, you know, he's an interesting story in himself, in his life, right. you know. Um, and, and at that time, this is what he wrote. And that's how they talked. And that captured the character. That doesn't mean he was like that necessarily. That doesn't mean that's what he believed. Not a slave owner, not a slave breaker, right. not a guy in support of those terrible systems. Exactly. Right. So, you know, so my, my wife watches um, Outlander. Uh, okay. Uh, the time travel romance and lots right, of exactly. sex show. <laughs> um, it's like, uh, didn't you watch that scene already? <laughs> um, but they, yeah, they, I just want to go back and get a few of the subtlety. Exactly. Right. They, they <laughs> traveled to America and found uh, that they, she or he was some descendant of some landowners and they had slaves. And it was portrayed realistically. I mean, in the one scene, it was really hard to watch. They accused this slave, and I don't think he had actually done it, but they literally just took hooks and jammed them into him and pulled him up on a thing. And he's like there with these hooks sticking out. It looked like something from Hellraiser, you know? Exactly. And, 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 and that's based on real tales, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. and, and it's just, it gets so frustrating and jumbled. Now, do I'm like, like wow, I want to go see a show where I'm seeing people hung up on only if it's Hellraiser. You know, that's what I was looking for. And I understand right. it's a fantasy horror. Well, this is a, a fantasy also, but it's based on real life and real things that happen. So by yeah. cutting that out, taking that out, it not only doesn't do a, a, it does a disservice to all the people that were in that, you know, situation because it covers it up. It makes it, it makes it, well, we don't have to think about it. So we don't have to worry about it. It's got, and it's the same thing we said before, the awareness of some yeah. of the issues going on. It's not going to change people's mind, but the more people see it, and it just takes time. As kids grow up, it, things change, you know? Right. Well, that ability to differentiate between fact and fiction is so important, and some people seem to be unable to do so no matter how old they get. But it's also, and so here's, you know, again, I, I love to geek it up. I just read that there's now protests being done about the world of D&D. You know, they've had multiple Again. editions of like, the, the Monster Manual and stuff, but actually it's from within the community. Oh, the okay. community is saying we have to stop portraying certain races as evil. You know what I mean? That it shouldn't always be that the orcs are the bad guys, that we have to start becoming more nuanced in our fantasy of that. And I think, there, I, I know that I've read things where there are indeed um, orcs who like music and whatever else it might be, but as a storytelling device, like, if you want to say, okay, here's this, um, I don't know about race, but let's say culture. And what does the culture do? They are, like, they they do human sacrifice. They capture other people, and they sacrifice them to their dark god and drink their blood and whatever else it might be. It's like, I don't, I don't know that I need to soften that. <laughs> I don't know that I need to act as if that didn't exist, because there have been human sacrifice cults, and it might be that the cult was an entire society for a while. So portraying something like that, it isn't, I guess the thing is, if it's, you talk about it, if it's inherently evil, 
then it's like, oh, because they're the wrong color or because they were born on the wrong continent. And that's, I guess, striking at the heart of prejudice. But if you talk about how this system of religion or politics or culture is such that they think incest is okay, they think human sacrifice is okay, it's probably okay to use the word evil in there. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. It really is. That, that it, oh, well. <laughs> I find that so interesting that people are going to the extreme of taking a fantasy role-playing game, which nobody's forcing you to play. Nobody's like, you know, it's not taking over the world. It's a very niche subculture thing. And it's right. open. If you don't want to have evil orcs in your campaign, don't have evil orcs in your campaign. It's an archetype. <laughs> you know, exactly. you can you can change it. You can create it. Yeah. That's such an important thing to say. You know what I mean? That all these things that really are like you, you choose what, you're, what movie you're going to go see or what book you're going to read. And if you don't like that book, what you get to say is, I put that book down. I didn't read it right. anymore. Whatever that next weird step that some minds take that says nobody should read this book, it, it's just there's a weird, there's an incredible egotism, an incredible surety and righteousness to it that isn't like correct, that isn't sustainable right. in reality. And yet some people's minds go to that. This troubled me so much that I want to spare other people that trouble. And I get that there is a, there's a thing there about, you know, if you go through terrible times, are you the person that's going to say, well, I want to spare other people that, or are you the person that's going to say, well, I turned out okay. And so other people should have to go through this shit too. And, and so I think there's like, I don't know what personality trait that is that says, are you a believer in that, right. you know, uh, spare them or inflict it on them. There's something about that there. You know what I mean? Like, is it, is a lack of, I just wrote about this a little bit. Is it a lack of empathy? Is it a lack of, like, I can't, not only can I not put myself in other shoes, but I can't imagine somebody putting themselves into mine and that you might be able to learn this lesson without having to go through the terrible childhood that I did, the terrible fraternity hazing that I had. You know what I mean? That you, you could spare other people that instead, or like you could tell them instead of having them to go through the horror of it. How about that? And, oh, and, <laughs> you know, this, to me, that's, it's, very interesting. I, I do appreciate the fact that it's internal. People who have actually played and people who know the game and, and wanting to change it. And honestly, what would that really change? Okay, so we have orcs. We say they're, but we make orcs and they're good too. Okay, great. I still can play the way I want. So go ahead. That, that doesn't right. affect the game a whole lot in my <laughs> mind. But I can understand how some people, you know, LGBT, which we talked about, you know, that community, they want to play D&D. They want to see non-evil orcs. They want to see gay orcs. Okay, go ahead. That right, doesn't right. affect it. Again, the game's open to your interpretation and your imagination. We've changed stuff in D&D every campaign we ever had, I think. Exactly. And, and in some cases, embracing stereotypes is kind of what makes them fun and playable. You exactly. want to have like a macho swashbuckler idiot that get, can really fight well, but also gets you into ridiculous situations because he won't take caution. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, and, and you can have the coward that is also like, well, then do they get a share of the treasure? They hung back while everybody right. else is fighting. And so you kind of get life lessons out of the role playing that you're doing. Are you That's gonna what I was going to say. Are you going to be the craven? You know what I mean? The very <laughs> first part is role play. And then the last yeah. part is it's a game. <laughs> I right. mean, just think about the implications of the words themselves. <laughs> yeah. You know, Boy, so here, here's a controversial thought for the day, and I really don't know that I think this entirely, but lots of fireworks, and lots of people were saying, hey, maybe less fireworks, you know, 
um, dogs get scared. People with PTSD get, get scared, affected yeah. by it and all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm, I don't know, as I've gotten older, I've gotten less forgiving of fireworks at six o'clock, nine o'clock when it starts to get dark. Okay. Fireworks at one thirty in the morning. Maybe I'm, and fireworks right next to my car. I get less understandable. Yeah, exactly. But having said that, this is a, it's like I said, this is controversial. There's nobody in the army now that isn't a volunteer. We stopped the draft in when? Early 70s, I think. Uh, it's been it, almost yeah. 40 years, uh, uh, at least 40 Just years, maybe even 50. 50. And so I, I really understand that we need to pr protect our troops and give them the equipment that they need and, and make it so that they're in a life and death situation. Make it so they can live. Make it so that they are effective in what they're doing. There's nobody in the army that didn't choose that. And so to see any of the armed forces get treated especially well when there's lots of other risky occupations, whether you're a, a building a bridge up on the girders or whether you're a fireman or other, you know, what, what they often say about, you know, who are the heroes? Like, I kind of want it to be that, and I guess it isn't talked about all the time, but on the 4th of July, that tugging at my heartstrings about somebody that has PTSD, it was a little bit rang false to me because it's like, they, they went over there. They they kind of well, they bought in. And when you buy in, you buy into the entire system. And there's no way nowadays that you didn't know how bad a combat theater can be and what kinds of things happen in combat. And so if, if boot camp didn't teach you, didn't weed you out, that and then you got traumatized, I really understand that we have to take care of them. I don't want it to be that they are treated any differently than any number of other situations where people that go through PTSD need to be handled as well. And so, yeah. you know what I mean? I just, I don't know. I, there's sweeping statements I can make. Like I hate seeing um, teachers that just went through COVID that had to deal with life or death situations and huge changes and alter their lives in lots of ways. And they're not in combat, if you will. And yet they're in combat. If we have shooters in schools, they're in continual conflict with, I, I, I'll well, stop there. Well, it just is, I, I didn't have full, deep sympathy because anybody, anybody that puts themselves into a difficult situation, when you're a race car driver and you crash, like, well, you kind of did it to yourself. You put yourself into an unnecessarily risky situation and you're making, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and whatever else it might be. So it's when there's not like re reward doesn't match risk. You know, as you know, I'm much in the market and I'm very much aware of risk and reward being traded off. And then we have certain things in our society where we don't take care of that will. You know what I mean? People that are working in mines, it might be that they bought into it, but you don't have to make the mine less safe than it could be. You don't get rid of the canaries right. and the early warning systems. and You don't mine until you're going to make the whole hill collapse. There's still a whole spectrum of what's the right trade off of risk versus reward. And whenever they go to either end of that spectrum, I kind of get... That's not the whole story. That's yeah, not, I, don't, don't go to the, my emotions, go to the whole situation there. I, I, yeah. I, I know what you're saying. And it, it's a kind of a rough situation. I get it because I, I was diagnosed with PTSD about 10 years ago because of everything going on in the divorce it had nothing to do with combat or shooting or anything. But I mean, I, I wasn't like somebody shoot a gun and I'd like go, you know, go in tears and ET running through the house ah, or anything like that fireworks didn't it was different i think people are using the ptsd again to control others or whatever and i'm not saying there aren't people that have something i, I was with a lady this weekend uh, yeah. our age um her her and her husband 
two or three years ago, lost their son. He was in the Navy. Uh, oh. He was out at sea, a bad storm. He got swept overboard. They never found the body. Um, oh. So okay. she was diagnosed with PTSD. She couldn't work. She barely could survive. I mean, she was messed up. And she even said that, yeah, we're just going to go to the hotel room and turn the TV on because I can't handle the fireworks and stuff. And I, I get that. And it can be so rough because if you say, oh, well, but you're whining, uh, I want to shoot fireworks. Well, you know, See, uh, but, no. but on the flip side, you know, if somebody's that upset and if it was your wife or, you know, it's a hard situation. I think the problem is people use it too much sometimes or they blame others and the fireworks when it's not really truth of that. And it just makes it worse. You know, we got one of our dogs that we have to, you know, calm down because he gets, she gets freaked out by the fireworks, sure, sure. you know? So That's why I, yeah, what goes into it there is no matter what situation you find yourself in, you still got it. Like our whole world is based on personal responsibility and choice. You know what yes. I mean? Criminals aren't compelled to commit the crime. They are, they are accused of the things that they made a choice to do. Well, in this case, like that, if you know, you're going to be that you don't have a good response to fireworks, then do what she did go into the hotel and turn the TV up and tune it out. Don't put yourself in a situation where you might like really have an episode, freak out a little bit and, and make it other people's responsibility to then right. take care of you. And boy, that's, there's so many situations like that. You know, if you know that you're, if you know, you have allergies, you don't go to a buffet and try everything. You make sure that you know what went into that thing. And if I know that I am lactose intolerant, I sure as hell voluntarily avoid every milk and cheese and every other product like that. You don't demand that they take it all out because you're allergic to it. Yeah. And even that, that it's kind of funny, you know, people want it to be labeled and I find those useful. I like knowing what's in the various different things, but you know, if you're going to have an Alfredo sauce, it's got to have milk or cheese or something in it. So on self-defense, you learn, I'm not going to risk having like an episode where I'm going to, you know, have anaphylactic shock or, or, whatever happens, poop yourself. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to risk anywhere near those things happening. I've learned to be, um, the best consumer that I can be. And so it isn't even, if you will meet me halfway, it's make it easy on me world, but I can't make that demand on you. I have to take care of myself. Exactly. More than anything else. You know, so, it's, it, it, and <laughs> you know, I have, um, allergies seasonal and plants and crap. Sure. I wouldn't, say, Hey, I want to come to your wedding, but I demand that you get rid of all the flowers because I'm allergic to them. You know, you know, (laughs) I I, I had a bad high school because it was so sports oriented that if you weren't in sports, you were like a lesser class citizen. And, but if I say something like, well, I think they should cut out football uh, on Sundays because flipping through the channels, it, it gets me all anxious. Well, you're stupid and crazy. Well, how come you can decide and choose the things that are should be changed? But when I say it, oh, it's stupid and crazy. Yeah, and I know people think that's an extreme example, but where do you draw the line? You know, we we keep changing things based yeah. on oh, this group of people said that they're offended, and this group of people says it triggers them and they uh, go into hysterics. So we'll get rid of all the stuff that bothers them. Okay, well, what about what bothers me? Where, where do you stop? See, that's a great way to look at it. I think that, you know, for some things, it's a matter just of sheer popularity. You know what I mean? That if right. most of society likes Sunday football, then it's like, cool. If I don't participate in that, I'm not trying to anybody to stop them from doing it. 
But I also get to say, well, if they're all playing football, I can go for a walk in, in Cuyahoga Valley National Park, and it's kind of empty because everybody's over watching right. football. So I've actually learned to use that. The thing you said about when is the tail wagging the dog? Is it because popularity and then it's, you know, the majority rule is going to crush the individual? Well, you can't have that. But it's also not that an individual has individual veto power over everything. There's continually ever shifting how society deals with that. Yeah. I think there's some things that are, if it's life or death, you kind of skew that distribution because you really can't have something in the environment. Take it back. There are things in the environment where if people have any instance of them, they really could die of, like I said, uh, some, uh, um, not lactose, sorry, grain. You know, I, I had a friend that really, if they had any trace of, um, if you had a salad that used to have a crouton on it, and they had just brushed the croutons off to give him, uh, you know, something without celiac, without, without, you know, that kind of thing. He could still get the effect, and he actually carried an epipen that you had to like give it to him to stop him from going into immediate shock. And so I don't know what society has to do to prevent every single hazard, because there <laughs> is something about the cost and the cost-benefit analysis of it, and so forth. And that's why the people that really have that incredible sensitivity kind of have to learn that they they don't get to go, um, they don't get to have a piece of toast. They just don't. You know what I mean? You know, if I was allergic to bees, I wouldn't go to the local honey store and then blame yeah. them if I got stung. So and, that, I, and, you know, really, that's what it comes down to. And I know, I know exactly. <laughs> I, and I, I get it that there's people, well, I've got this problem. And are you saying that, you know, I should blah, 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 and this, that. No, it, every case can be a little different. I understand that too. Yeah. But sometimes we, we get stupid and it's just like, come on, <laughs> the, you know, here's an example. I, I had some family members that chose to weigh 400, 450 pounds. And I say chose because of their lifestyle, their eating right. their non It takes work to it get does. to be 400 pounds. Yeah. You got to be on there 24 seven on right. the Cheeto. But anyway, right. okay. <laughs> so they would, go to like a movie theater and say, well, I, I want these two seats, but there's only one. So somebody should move to accommodate me or a plane. It's like, well, I should get first class at normal price because I can't fit in those seats. And so again, they chose to do that. So, you know, but, but on the flip side, you know, my father did not choose to have heart problems and uh, it could be some of his eating, but it really wasn't. But he doesn't now choose to be unable to walk and have to be in a wheelchair. So should they put in a ramp to help people? Yeah. Some people say, well, that's stupid because it's costing me tax money just so your father can uh, go into this building. You know, it it really is. The discussion really is turning back on itself. You know, it is a matter of do people have empathy or not? Like you hear that all the time. I don't want my tax dollars going to that. And it's like, Wow, that's such a small thing to enable all the people that are in those unfortunate circumstances. And in fact, the minute you get to they saying, do those people deserve to be like that or not? What a weird place yes. to go to in your mind and what a weird way for society to go to as to how if we just make it that all disabled people have this slight thing that we can do to make it easier on them, to give them access and so forth. So all the ADA rules that came out that I've never minded at all. Yeah, I mean, 
and, and occasionally they're like, wow, I guess uh, um, we're going to put on a program and we have to have a sign language interpreter there because it's over a certain period and that's, uh, sorry, number of attendees and that's the law. And so it's like, well, that's a, a big expense for maybe benefiting one or two people. And yet you got to kind of step back from that and say, what's the view of the world? It really is that if you're yeah. deaf, you just don't get to do those things anymore. How about I, I err on the side of generosity or on the, on the side yeah. of inclusion? And, the and it's kind of weird. I, I kind of the talking about how sensors, I can't tell you how many people I've known that have said, here's all the ways in which I don't want my tax dollars going to these various different things. And if you just talk to them for a little while, you find out what various benefits they're getting from society when it decided, well, you can't get around, so you have a scooter now, or you are uh, you know, maybe war traumatized. And so we've got, there's everybody, it, what's the phrase? It all depends on whose ox is getting gored. It's amazing <laughs> the blindness that people have that whatever I am is by definition correct and normal and other problems and other people are where I have to put right. my focus instead of saying, wow, I don't know anybody that's really free of some consideration. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like and, I'm, and, I'm making it better for everyone instead but, of, Oh, our pro our society, the problem is that you get people that take advantage of it. Um, you know, stupid example, but this is kind of based on real life. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the uh, show Shameless with William H. Macy. Only I, I watched it to try it, and the first episode didn't grab me, so I have not continued. But okay. so It's been he, out for like five or six years, and so it's like, wow, well, something like must 11. be good. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm totally out of the loop. All right. Yeah. But, <laughs> so he is on disability because he worked at like a rooster pro or a chicken processing plant and why the headless chickens flew up and hit him in the stomach. So he's been on disability for like five years. Uh, oh, he's faking man. it, you know, it, right. but that, you know, that's the problem. We get people that then feel they're entitled and that's our new word, isn't it? it, it entitled. That's the whole young generation. They're entitled, yeah. you know, to, to have disability because they feel they should. And, you know, you see people in this irks Gina, they come in, uh, their nails done up wearing gold, this, and they're, you know, stylish that, but they're on Medicare and welfare and they have seven, eight kids running around and they, you know, they're talking about they're eating shrimp for dinner, but they don't have a job. Well, you can't tell me that because I'm not working. And our society use that. I, I saw it in the schools and in Cub Scouts. Well, you should uh, you, you gave my son an F. He doesn't deserve an F because he has a hard time studying. Well, why does he have a hard time studying? Well, he can't concentrate. Okay, so what's he? what did he do instead of studying? Well, he played Xbox for six hours. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, that's right. our, our society thinking sometimes. A certain segment of that, you know what I mean? I think yes. that it, it's, you know, that's one of the things that when, when uh, wow, every time that I hear about those things, you know, the, the, um, the person that's getting away with, of uh, uh, unemployment benefits or something like that. I always feel obligated to say, if you look at the numbers, if you look at where the money really goes, all of those welfare mothers, all of those people that are false on their disability claims, they are a, a tiny rounding error in comparison <laughs> to all the corporations that get away with ridiculous yeah, exactly. farm subsidies, ridiculous oil subsidies, ridiculous, you mean like the, the, the ways in which we've structured society is that there's all kinds of cartoons about this, right? Here's a guy that has 99 coins and there's one coin left on the table. And he's saying to the two disadvantaged people, Hey, I think he's trying to steal your coin. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's, it's, there's so much, 
um, meme uh, activity out there for what's wrong with the people that are, oh, no, they're getting free school, uh, even though they might not be paying as much taxes as you. Or you name the thing that people find a way to just just uh, hate other people over next to nothing, whereas they blind themselves to the reason there's not enough to go around, the reason that our bridges are falling apart and our, our unemployment our system is really as it does, is because the money's already being siphoned out to incredible wealth inequality type things. Yeah. And it's kind of funny. I don't think that's only my prejudice talking. I don't dislike rich people. I dislike the lies that are told and perpetuated to enable that to keep and, happening. And if the slightest investigation into this shows how bad it is, and it's I'm, not a little bit bad. It's impossibly bad. <laughs> I, I'm definitely open to some showing of difference, but you know, when they always show well, these rich people only paid this much and these rich people were involved in this lawsuit and stuff. Uh, you don't really hear that about Bill Gates. I'm not saying the guy's a saint and I'm not saying he didn't have practices to build the money he has, but right. lately he pay, it seems he pays his taxes and he gives back more than most of the others. And so here's an example, just listening to this, this is absurd, but based on, you know, the way our, our society is, why not? So I'm bald, you're bald. So when I go to the beach, I have to use more suntan lotion for my bald head and cover it up. I think everybody should pay a tax that supplies uh, this for everybody that's at the beach. That's an absurd <laughs> example, but that's, you know, where do you, again, where do you draw that line? <laughs> exactly. I'll tell you, so it is a perfect example. I'm a melanoma survivor. Right. And like, it would never occur to me to go to the beach saying, where are the hats that should be here? Right. Of course, I bring my own freaking hats. Exactly. Of course, I bring my own sunscreen. And the sunscreen is like SPF 70 liquid <laughs> lead because I'm not taking any chances. And I don't want anybody to choose for me exactly how much protection yeah. that I need. Does it, and if that costs a little bit more, that's okay with does me. Does it suck <laughs> that you had melanoma and people could go their whole lives in the sun and never get it? Absolutely. Is it right. an unfair roll of the dice? Absolutely. I, I, you know, you can't deny that, but you, you also can't sit around whining about what's wrong with your life. And, you know, right. You know, like the dogs do Just put some dirt on it and walk away, you know, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, I, so, um, Colleen and I have been dealing with getting our new garage and our new driveway and that kind of stuff. And we've really had to be like, at first, I was complaining about being kind of the general contractor because I didn't have one person that I wrote a check to and they took care of everything. I had to get involved in the removing of the trees and the stumps and making sure that the city of Lakewood liked our plans, you know, that we had, that were within our property line and that everything was according to city covenant and stuff like that. And having said that, I really haven't at all minded being the general contractor because I have had, and I've also complained about seeing things in the transition stages about making, you know, you don't want to see the sausage being made. Right. I also am very happy that I've been to QA. You know what I mean? As much as I, I often make analogies to uh, what I've done in my life, and this is equivalent to a coding project, you know, where you had initial plans and you start coding and then you make sure that it works and that kind of stuff. And all the whole, the big thing about not letting a bug get all the way to near production and then having to like, pull the cord and say, hey, this is going to break dramatically. You have to pull back from it. Well, that's what any number of coding techniques have been developed to do 
um, QA right at the start. You do things in smaller modules so you really can judge that something is, you know, bulletproof, invulnerable, and you keep on building so that you build in certainty and quality every step of the way. And when you get to the end, you're just done. You're not still like rolling the dice, hope this works. <laughs> Having said all that, man, the number of times I've had to say, well, weren't you going to dig a trench to put in the conduit that's going to take the electric out to the garage? <laughs> and then it kind of like occurring to them that, yeah, putting that thing in, baking the security into the project instead of doing it as a tacked-on add-on later is just the right way to go. And indeed, it might be that you have to pull out the line on, you know, the um, stop production. You have to stop what was going on. I know you brought an entire crew here to do it, but doing things in the wrong order, doing things not to the level of quality that you need, thank God I've been involved. And it's kind of funny. I'm kind of an easygoing guy, a get-along guy. The number of times I've had to nag meaning not just mention once, put it on the punch list, put it on the QA list, and see it resolved, I've had to do it a half a dozen times. And when it finally gets done, it's very satisfying, but it was just a matter not of it's the right thing to do. I pointed out a fact. It was a matter of persistent nagging on my part. <laughs> and so uh, kind of to tie that into all of this, how many things have we had society, like you're saying, it takes kind of years, generations sometimes for things to change, and sometimes it really does take those people that are going to say, That's true. This isn't right. You know, this isn't right. I'm going to keep talking about how it's not right. And it might be that that little groundswell of people listening, and well, it's not the popular opinion currently, but we've had a number of popular things that were pretty terrible back in, you name it, the right. 1860s, the 1920s, the 1950s, the, the, and, and not just here in the United States, all around the world. And one of the things that really makes me sad is the regression where you see, well, we figured that out. You see the people with signs at like, why am I still protesting this shit? You know, 50 years later. True. It's just the weirdest thing to have whatever that is in human nature that says, I want the easy solution, no matter that it's wrong. It's not a solution. <laughs> it's just something must be done. This is something. It must be done. It's like, no, no, no. Pull back and take a take a moment to think about right. what you're committing yourself to here. Yeah. Oh. And, and when you oh. were talking earlier about the PTSD and the fireworks and the soldiers, um, sure. you know, I, I was young, but I you know I watched all the eighties movies where all the soldiers coming back, all the, the people yelling at them, spitting at them. And we've changed that where, you know, a big, during the Gulf war, it was, you know, don't hate the soldier for, you know, hate the, the action, hate the people pushing for this, you know, and right. they, they're just following their job. the Rumsfelds, hate the McNamara's, you know, yeah. sorry, you know, which, okay. which is great. You know, that's. Um, the, the, probably the way it, not probably it, it's the way it should be. And I'm glad society changed to that, but uh, the things, you know, like with the, the PTSD, I still think the, the ones that are suffering from it, it's still okay. Totally different topic. Oh my God, we should probably <laughs> do four or five episodes on this, <laughs> but I've, I'm not an expert. I'm not certified. I'm not a psychologist, nothing like that. But, the study I've done on mental health and how people are affected by that. And I see examples of that in my own life with people and in society, uh, just the way that it, it changed, you know, somebody with uh, borderline personality and narcissism can come up to you and say, and convince you completely that the person they're living with is doing this, that, and the other thing. And there are so many people that will just jump on that bandwagon, just like we were saying with the witch hunt, that all oh, that and, and ruin a person's life. But it's because of the mental health problems. 
Uh, right. And, and saying I'd like to hear both sides, I'd like to investigate. It's crazy in today's world. <laughs> it, it's well, it, and it does seem to be like that's you know, it isn't that I don't believe you. It's that I think there's an important thing here that I need to know, as opposed to only be your friend. It isn't about being your friend. It's it's there's a bigger thing involved here. Yeah. And whatever that reference for the truth is, it isn't that popular. <laughs> and, and, and so I wonder the people that will just jump on something and you know i wonder with all the protests with all the with the witch hunts with the 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 going from hating soldiers to embracing the soldiers i would love to find out more about how that's interpreted by psychologists psychiatrists and how our brain works for those instances because yeah. people don't want to talk mental health uh you know i had to deal with that going through my divorce they never wanted to talk any mental health issue, unless you're babbling and acting what we term crazy, they don't want to deal with it. And, and I think it's a big issue that affects a lot of people, but there's no recourse, nothing to do to help fix anything. Uh, that's, it's hard. I think it's kind of funny, you know, in my lifetime, I think we've seen um, advancements in the psychology of understanding people and, and why they do what they do. I, I, I'm not sure if I mentioned this on the show, I just uh, was reminded of uh, M. Scott Peck wrote a couple books probably like 40 years ago, maybe even 50, about um, the road less traveled and about like how to how to be a practical moralist, how to bring morals and ethics into your life in a way that you're you're living what you think is a good life. You ask yourself those questions, and that's how you develop your principles. It's not just public opinion. It's not et cetera, et cetera. He wrote a particular book called The People of the Lie. That was one of the first places that I can remember reading about um, what we now understand to be the dark triad, that malignant narcissism and sociopathy, you know, um, and it's kind of funny, where's the other part of the triad? It'll come to me where like now we understand that there really are people that are, they don't, they don't have any empathy. They don't act in a way that we'd be able to say, oh, they just made a mistake. No, they were actually very driven to get whatever they wanted from whoever they wanted and and had no qualms about doing awful things. I'll let what you just said, the villain always thinks he's the hero. And the more that we see now that it's not only that that's like an aberrant thing in society, it's not the criminals, it's the CEOs. It's all right. kinds of people that are vastly successful in business. The reason that you can be that way is because you really don't care about how it affects other people. You really are driven to get the most, to get the most money, to have the best toys, et cetera, et cetera. And like the, you don't waste a moment. You don't waste any time on ramifications of your things. You just, you know what you want and you go after it. Right. And it, so those uh, books were fascinating when I think back on them to be, that's been in my mind that when I had a number of people that I really thought were of that, and I called them kind of the people of the lie. It sounds very biblical, but it really was like, Wow, he had no shame, no qualms whatsoever about talking differently to various different people to get away with bull, evil bullshit. He just, it didn't matter to him at all that he was a liar. It right. didn't. And, and, and like, again, he probably doesn't. You know what to, I mean? To him, yeah. what he's saying is the truth. I don't even know what you're talking about, but I'm sure that's the story. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? I don't, think it, I don't think he thinks it's the truth. I think that some people just say whatever they think. To get, get, get away with it, whatever yeah. the other person wants to hear. They, yes, anyway. <laughs> to get that person on their side. And the, I think this is, you know, we're talking about changing perceptions, changing our culture and 
uh, how people think. And this fits right into it because, uh, you know, up until semi-recently, uh, you were either a normal society person or you were crazy and you were in a loony bin and you talked to a psychiatrist. You know, that's that I'm, I'm definitely, you know, being absurd with what I'm saying on that, but that's kind of the viewpoint. Whereas through movies and various other avenues, people are more accommodating. They'll even say, you know, uh, that was really rough. You should go talk to somebody, go see a therapist. Go, and, and we're more accepting of it and we're changing our viewpoint. And the people that fall under some category of mental health issue could have families, could have jobs, could be a normal functioning person, except for this one thing, an area, which is a problem, but doesn't stop them from, you know, just living a quote unquote normal life. And, you know, we laugh, I've laughed about this with, uh, with learning about autism and stuff, you know, if you go into any group of mensons, you can form like a super autistic person. You put them all together, you know, because, we, we say they have quirks and eccentricities, but they're right. not necessarily autistic. It's the same with some of these other mental issues. You know, they may not be narcissistic, but they may have three of five uh, telltale points or something. Okay. You know, exactly. It's yeah. It, the fact that society is formed out of all those people and that it used to, I, I guess we have gained understanding. You know I mean? Now it's someone is quirky or eccentric. And it used to be that that was only based on how did you fit into society? Right. But now there's all the other like almost autistic superpowers of, well, they get so focused that they lose themselves in their work. And, yeah. and we're more accepting of that in some ways now of little Billy, just like reads a book and the world tunes out around him. It it's uh, I like the fact that we're accepting of that, but for those people who see that there's a dark side to it and that it's had some debilitating effect on their life, they can go in and talk to somebody about it. Try to like, just as if, Hey, my car's making a funny noise. You go see a mechanic, you go see someone who knows right. more about that system and if my my car is making a funny noise, you know, don't know why, but I, let's see, what's my quirk? I have a lot of things. I think it's because I like having lots of things in collections and so forth. But when I look around and it's like, okay, maybe now I have too many things, but I've got habits towards collecting things. How do I govern myself? How do I get kind of control of that? And especially not have it be, I don't want Colleen to be put out. I don't want her to think that I'm you know, we're one episode away from hoarders. You know what I mean? So there's... There's things ah, that I, it's falling on me. <laughs> well, and I get you know just that we're not like that. We don't have a little path that's carved in, in between all the crap. We don't have old. I lived with somebody it. like that for a while. So you know, and I guess I I don't know. I um I'm glad that I'm aware of it, and I can kind of laugh about it. You know, a sense of humor helps you get through all kinds of things. Of like, that's just me. You know, yeah. it's weird that I don't immediately want to throw something away. But it's not, I never throw it away. Eventually, it's like, okay, today's the day that I'm going to go through. And all the boxes that I saved that had the instructions in them, ah, I could put instructions in folders and in a tenth of the space have all of the documentation that I need. But I didn't have to save the actual, oh, look at the nice box it came in. Right, right. You know what I mean? It's not like a fascinating thing. Right. So, so anyway, I, when I went, I, I post my divorce, I went through some coaching. And I think it was really psychology I take it back. It was um, trying to like learn about myself so that I wouldn't do the same mistakes. You know, a certain amount of, about me is like, wow, something's happened in my marriage. It was like, I really wasn't a bad guy. I don't think I did terrible things. And yet it came to a, a difficult end. At least don't let that happen again. And right. so one of the joys of going to, to talk to anyone was, wow, I'm someone who's really uh, focused on me. 
I can, I can like, this is a safe place. I can tell them the truth. And there's, you know, remove the shame element, remove the, how do I want to portray myself in society element? Um, don't worry about everything making sense. Just kind of say, well, here's what, what, what it, how it feels, what I think, and that those are different things in a lot of cases. It was incredibly refreshing to just work on me an hour a week for a while. You know, often I'm very external, right? I'm working on coding projects. I'm reading this. I'm doing things that I'm, I'm doing, but I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a project of my own. This was the first time that I had ever really done that. Right. You know, how, do I, how do I tweak myself? How do I get past the introspection? In that, yeah, yeah. And, it, and, and I've taken other, not only talking to this gentleman, but um, I took classes that were like uh, LifeSpring, where they were like just getting off of autopilot. You know, whatever habits you've developed in your life are um, almost always useful. You wouldn't have done it if they weren't you know, good for survival and betterment and so forth. But there are some things where in the moment of choice, you really have to understand that it's you. It's you making that choice. It's not your background. It's not your parents. It's not all those things. It, your, your mind is amazingly um, quick and smart. And all you have to do is just not be on autopilot, but make that step back away from something and say, is this really what I want to do? Is it really the best thing? It, it helped me a ton to be all the problems, all the situations, all the kind of stuff. They're all outside of me. All of that is not me. There's still a core of me that's me. Right. And I get to be the master of my fate and the captain of my soul. You know what I mean? Long ago, I read Invictus. And it's like, I'd love to get to that one day where I really feel that it's that I've, I'm, I'm my realized self. A lot of this is self-actualization and becoming your best, truest self. Anyway, anyway, that's that's well, I, I was say, <laughs> I got a lot out of those kinds of things. The, the whole... Uh, perceptions that we've been talking about uh love yeah. it or hate it i think big bang theory went along big bang theory and marvel movies went a long way to changing people's perceptions on the geek and nerd culture and things and you, you know we can laugh now someone says oh yeah i'm a big geek uh because you have mm -hmm. a pair of socks that have iron man on them <laughs> that's not <laughs> what makes you a geek you know um but it, it changed perceptions a bit and sheldon uh you know, they never said he really had autism. The closest they came was they said, you're crazy. He's like, no, I'm not. My mother had me tested. And it's funny. <laughs> a good lie. <laughs> but but it, I, I, I look at that because, again, that's where I started thinking, you know, he, he's right. He's very autistic. But is he does he just display certain traits, but he's not officially autistic or something else? And, you know, I think that helped change perceptions to some degree in the country. That's, uh, I think it's a good, honestly, as, as I mentioned, I have been watching more of them and I really do, I guess a little bit, we just talked about with Shameless. Sometimes my first impression is not good and there's so much else out there that I just kind of like leave this behind and go on. Yeah. But sometimes a first impression, one impression out of, it isn't enough. It isn't enough to get the flavor of it. And maybe it was just me at the time that I was watching, day, I was in a good mood, I was distracted, whatever. So I watched many more episodes and there, there, there's any number of times it's been great belly laugh stuff. It's been great recognition stuff you know what i mean it right. really is you know, my, my when, cousin's <laughs> my cousin's grandson has been diagnosed with autism uh and this is the kid he's seven he wants to read war and peace so uh interesting you know, yeah. um but they watch young sheldon and they say it cracks him up because they're like oh my god we've you know we've lived this situation we've right been they were this. hiding in the closet filming you yes exactly <laughs> and and Gina and I, I mean, everybody goes through rough patches, uh, mm -hmm. but 
one of the things early on, because she's way different than I am. Uh, if you know, Myers-Briggs, she's an ENFP, I'm an INTJ. And if you look that up, those are like the two most opposite <laughs> there right. is. Each, each axis, it's different. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um, but so we watched a few Big Bang theories and she had seen it before and stuff too. But being around uh, the other Mensons, being around some of my friends, me, Colin, and just living, she started going, looking at it, looking at me going, oh, I get it. You know, so it, that okay. was our therapy in a weird way. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, to, to find out that you're not alone, to find out that other people act or think, feel, you know, as you do, and that other people can see that in you. I, I've gotten insights about both myself and about Colleen from just as we go through life. You know what I mean? You meet other people, you watch TVs, you read books. One of the everybody says this, but it's just so true. You know, one of the joys of reading books is you get to live a thousand lifetimes, right? And you do gain understanding and empathy and just a bigger view instead of thinking that. Really, my experience of the world is all there is. No, there's so much more. Right. So, right. Uh, all right, okay. man. I know you got to get going too. So exactly, I, I have uh, my my dermatology appointment. Yep. Having I cleverly mentioned melanoma earlier, you know, I'm I'm like 15 years clear, and yet nice. melanoma is one of those things that you need to check all the time because if it returns, it isn't a good one. It's right. it's you know it can sneak around your body and get into important organs. And I need my brain and I need my liver and stuff. <laughs> and most of the other ones. <laughs> and all the other ones. Exactly that. So, all all right. right. Take care, man. Take Good care. luck. All right. Bye-bye. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week.